You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Dan Jetto. The event that changed everything. Each one of us in our lives can identify events that have changed how we think, what we see, what's important to us, and things that affect our lives. So I want to share a couple. Um, If you're a parent, uh, the day I became a parent, I was immediately sleep-deprived for the rest of my life. So it was the midnight feedings, was having to be up before the toddler was up so that you wouldn't find milk all over the kitchen floor and uh, who knows what else scattered around the house. It was staying up till midnight while you were waiting for your teenager to come home after he got his driver's license, wondering if the car would still be in one piece. Sleep deprived for the rest of my life. And now that I have grandkids, it seems like I still uh, never get enough sleep. Bacon. Okay. I don't know who invented bacon, but bacon makes everything taste good. That was a life a world-changing event. I think if you wrap bacon around broccoli, it would be edible. Okay? Um, I don't like broccoli. Uh, not one of my favorite things. In my own life, uh, some things are funny like this. Some things are tragic. When my brother died from a fall at a construction site, that changed my whole view of the world and what was important to me. And so a lot of things of this world no longer have value to me where people have become the most important thing. And, and that's really a big change because when I was in college, before I came to Christ, I shared this before, I wanted to be a physicist because I didn't want to deal with people. I wanted to work with things. Kind of a Sheldon, if you watch Big Bang Theory. Um, that was kind of where I was headed. And technology... In the late 1800s, there was a battle over the electrical systems we use today. Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla had competing ideas. I've got a picture of Tesla here in his laboratory. Thomas Edison was convinced that DC, direct current, was the way to go. It was lower voltage, it would be safer. Nikola Tesla had developed generators that created an alternating current. Now, the benefit of the alternating current was the alternating current could be transmitted over long distances because you could ramp the voltage up using uh, transformers. So you can see, you know, 70,000 volt lines, transmission lines are even greater. Uh, Coming into the plant that I work in, there's a 14,800 volt line coming in. We have transformers that take it down to 480 and then down to to 240 and 120. Um, But it can be transmitted over long, long distances. The direct current can only be transmitted about a mile. So you would have to have a power station every mile for everybody. Tesla won that battle. The current that we use today is AC current. And it happened at the World's Fair in um, in 1893 in Chicago. Tesla's AC was used to light the World's Fair. His alternating current was used to light the World's Fair. And then in in 1896, he won the contract to supply power to the streets lights in in Buffalo, New York, and with current generated by hydroelectric uh, power from a generator at Niagara Falls. 
Tesla changed our world. Our cities, our factories, our homes are all powered by alternating current. If you walk through your house today, I want you to think about this. Walk through your house today and look at all the different things that use electricity and try to imagine living without them. We would find it difficult. The, the invention of alternating current had a huge impact on our world. But there's an event that had an even greater impact on our world, and that was Jesus' resurrection. It dwarfs the impact of electricity. When Jesus rose from the dead, death was destroyed forever. When Jesus rose from the dead, a new hope was available to all mankind. When Jesus rose from the dead, God proved that he is the one true God and ruler of all. Now we have lights in this gym, and we can't see electricity, but we can see the effect of electricity. We can see the work that electricity is doing. The light that we let shine out of our lives is the evidence of the work of the resurrected Savior and his Holy Spirit, what they are doing in us. When we live in relationship with our resurrected Savior, it will change not only our today, but it will change our eternity. The impact goes beyond this world. A dead man can't do anything for us. So if Jesus stayed dead, he couldn't do anything for us. But a living God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power, which is at work within us. Jesus' death on the cross paid the debt for our sins. It sets us free. The, resur res the resurrected Jesus is calling us to follow him living and displaying the evidence that he is our, savior, our risen Savior. It is this truth that brings us to our bumper sticker today. I always like to have a bumper sticker. And my bumper sticker for today is destined for eternity, determined for today. So destined for eternity, determined for today. Since we know that our future is secure, that Jesus being raised from the dead gives us the hope and the confidence that we too will be raised with him, we can live today in total abandon for him. So Jesus' resurrection gives us the assurance that we will be with him in eternity. And it gives us the ability and it frees us then to live with total abandon, knowing that this is not all that we get, that this world is not all that we get. Now, I want to look at the, a little bit of Peter. Peter provides a perfect picture how somebody who fully believes that Jesus is resurrected can be changed. So when you look at Peter before the resurrection, you look at Peter after, we're going to see some huge changes. So let's look at two passages of Scripture. I've got one from Luke chapter 22, and then later Luke writes in the book of Acts, so in Acts chapter 4. So we'll start in Luke 22. And this is what Jesus had just been arrested. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, 
You must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. In that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. So that's Peter before the resurrected, before he sees Jesus resurrected. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 21, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their messages believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So the resurrection is already having a major impact in Jerusalem. 5,000 men now believe that Jesus is the Christ. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? What they had done is they had healed a man who had been lame for 40 years. And they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state uh, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any farther, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. So let's contrast Peter. Before and after the resurrection. Okay, before. So as Jesus is arrested, he's following him at a distance, afraid to be identified with Jesus. After he sees Jesus as resurrected, he's, he is stating that the miracle was done, and that that was done, was done through the power of Jesus' name. Before, he's afraid of a servant girl ratting him out. After, He is testifying before the very people who condemned Jesus to die, accusing them of being responsible for his crucifixion. 
before he denies knowing Jesus, after he is publicly preaching in Jesus' name, before his denial leaves him racked with guilt and sorrow, after he is bold and defiant of those who want to stop him. He's determined to get the message of Jesus Christ out. So why the change? Because before he saw Jesus as helpless in the hands of his enemies, unable to help himself or others, he saw Jesus nailed to the cross. He saw him placed in the tomb. But after, he saw the same man who had been placed in the tomb walking among them, sharing with them, eating with them, showing himself to him and others. So it wasn't a hallucination. There was hundreds of people who had seen Jesus after he was resurrected. And that changed everything for Peter and the disciples. Jesus is calling each of us to live with this post-resurrection attitude. With our lives are going to be post-resurrection lives. He wants us to live after lives, not before lives. After lives until we reach the afterlife. He's calling us to live after lives until we reach the afterlife. So how do we learn to live these afterlives? Well, first of all, we need to be convinced that Jesus is our resurrected Savior. We need to be convinced that Jesus is alive today, that he is not still in the tomb, that he is not still on the cross. He is risen just as he said he would be. He predicted that three days after he died, he would rise again. Everybody knew that because even the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests knew it because they asked the Romans to put a guard on the tomb because they thought the apostles would cry to come and steal his body. Jesus predicted his resurrection and then he raised from the dead. It should change our whole attitude towards life. It should affect everything that we do. It should make us bold and desire to want to share Jesus with others. Peter said, as recorded by Luke in Acts 4.10, let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. He's active. He's healing. He's helping. He's guiding. He loves us. He desires to be in a relationship with us. And this relationship is worth more than any difficulty or any temporal pain or pleasure this world can offer. In 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18, Paul, a man who violently opposed Christianity, sought out to have people executed for their faith, writes this after he has his post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit and as for God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul is saying that the treasures that await us, 
the experiences we will have in Christ far outweigh any consequences this world can throw at us. And that includes persecution and death, which is what actually happened to Paul. He was persecuted. He was, he was killed for his faith. Now, I know what it's like to have and meet people who weigh the consequences and say, well, consequences are worth it. I'm going to do it. Because I had a child like this, at least one, that they knew the consequences of disobeying us, but if they wanted to do it, I'll take the punishment so I can have the fun over here. So we've had that. I was one of those children. My mom used to ask you know, or say, you know, clean everything off your plate or you won't get dessert. My first question was always, what's for dessert? Is it worth it? You know, I, I'm not going to eat those peas if, if we're having rhubarb, you know, because I don't like rhubarb. So uh, we know people like that. Well, when the consequences are so beautiful, so vast, and so lovely, there's nothing in this world that should distract us from wanting to do the work that God says, the kingdom for us. The dessert that Jesus has for us, an eternal relationship with him, in a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, only joy, is worth giving up everything this world could offer. When we are convinced that Jesus is resurrected, we will look beyond this world to our destiny, which is secure in Jesus. This frees us and gives us hope in difficult circumstances and trials. So not only do we need to be convinced that Jesus is resurrected, we need to be convinced that Jesus is the ultimate authority, that he is the one who has supreme authority over everything. So back in our passage, we see this exchange between Peter and the council in Acts 4, 18 through 20. It says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen or heard. Now, these men represent what would be the equivalent of our Supreme Court in the Jewish people. This, this is Ananias and, and Caiaphas. These are the same people who sent Jesus to, to Pilate to be put to death. And they're defying them. They're saying, you know, I, I'm not going to obey you. God has told me to do this. I'm going to obey God. Those who are convinced that Jesus is truly risen, those who are convinced that Jesus is truly God, those who are convinced that Jesus is the ultimate authority will be more concerned about what Jesus wants than what others think. And it doesn't matter what office they hold, doesn't matter how popular they are, doesn't matter how big a celebrity they are. Those people will want to please Jesus first. Now, when we have these views, Jesus frees us to live for him, and it gives us a determination, a determination that we need to be his messengers to the world because that's our mission. We've been called to take the gospel to the world. We need to tell others who will listen, anyone who will listen about our resurrected Savior. Now, I want you to take note of this. In order to gain the privilege of telling others about Jesus, we have to cultivate relationships with those people. By cultivating a relationship with people, we gain the right to share uh, what's important in our lives. We need to build relationships with others. But as we're doing this, we need to take every opportunity that we can and make the most of every opportunity to share Jesus Christ with others. Peter has the opportunity to share in the temple. So at the beginning of our passage, he's sharing in the temple. 
with anyone who will listen. And then he gets called before the council. So what does he do? He shares about what Jesus is doing before the council. Every opportunity he used to share with others. The gospel message needs to be preached to all. This is what Jesus has called his followers to do. So what is this gospel message? That we as sinners can find eternal life with Jesus because God in his great mercy was willing to become a man, born to a virgin, live a sinless life, which he willingly offered as a sacrifice on the cross as a payment for our sins. And then he was raised on the third day, giving us hope that we too can be raised and spend eternity with him. So a message, a good news message that God has redeemed us. He's provided a way for us to spend eternity with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the message we're supposed to take. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus commanded his followers as the ultimate authority. He says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So teach this gospel boldly. And those who accept it, train them up so that they can teach it as well. For it is the power of God at work to save others. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Gentile, the good, new tell, good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Now, it would be absolutely impossible for us to do anything that I've talked about without God doing it in us. And Jesus has provided us his Holy Spirit as the one who empowers us to take that message to the world. In Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, it says, Then this was the last time that the apostles saw Jesus in resurrected form. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Jesus has promised to give us his Holy Spirit so that we can take this message to the world. But he's also promised that someday, just as the disciples saw Jesus raised in heaven, he's going to come back. and He's going to come back for us to take us to be with him. And that's the greatest promise in the world. None of his other promises have failed. Why would I trust that this one would not also? So I'm going to live knowing that someday I will be resurrected and go to be with Jesus. Until we are convinced that Jesus is resurrected and is the ultimate authority, we will find ourselves living before lives. And these lives are weak, they're fearful, and they're ineffective for the gospel. So my question is, would you rather live a before life filled with regrets or an afterlife filled with power, purpose, strength, and joy? To live that afterlife, we need to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. We need to come into a personal relationship with him. And we can come into that personal relationship with him by asking 
and placing our trust in him by praying a simple prayer like this one. And it's a prayer similar to what Pastor Chris has shared in the past, but recognize that you are a sinner. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, that I cannot earn my way into heaven, that the only price for heaven is your death on the cross. Lord, I accept your death as a payment for my sins, and I want to spend eternity with you. Jesus, I pray that you would give me the strength to walk with you day by day. And Lord, I thank you for your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Once we are in that relationship, we need to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of this living God that we serve, this Jesus who is resurrected. And we should pray then, expecting that he hears us and cares for us. But as we pray, we should also spend time listening. Don't just talk to God, listen to him. We should study his word. And this means personal reading of God's word. Get a Bible. We have some on the back table. Uh, Get a Bible. Take it with you. Read it. My wife likes to listen to podcasts of other uh, other Christ-following preachers and teachers. Do that. Download them onto your phone. Listen to them in your car. Use a Bluetooth feature of of your vehicles. Listen to these other teachers and learn from them. Join a small group Bible study. Christians need to quit trying to do life on our own. We need to be involved with other believers so that we can be strengthened by one another, we can learn from one another. And we need to share what we're learning with anyone who will listen. So don't just learn. Take what you're learning and share it with someone else. Um, When I meet with my small groups, we have uh, three things that have to happen. We share life, so we find out what's going on in each other's life. We have something from the Word, so it doesn't matter my music team when we meet in the morning, we have a word from the Word. That's just a short devotional. Something that Jesus has spoken to me in my devotions this week, I will share with my team. And then we have a time of prayer. We pray for one another and the needs in each of our small groups. That is what should be happening on a daily basis around the world with, with Christians and believers everywhere. Sharing life, sharing God's Word, and then praying for one another. Our eternal destiny is secure in Jesus. Someday he will take us to a place where there are no more tears, a place where there's no more pain, a place of joy and happiness to be with him forever. I don't know what your lives are like, but I know that I've had a lot of pain and a lot of tears, and I'm ready for a lot of joy. I'm ready for the pain to be gone. Um, I'm not ready to step out of this world. I believe God has more for me to do. But when he comes, it's going to be a joyous day. I will rejoice when I get to go to heaven. And this is all possible because Jesus Christ is risen. His resurrection changes everything. It gives us the ability to live lives in total abandonment for him. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who is risen. Lord, that you give us the power and the strength to live for you every day. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see you as a resurrected God. Lord, that it would change our entire focus, Lord. That it would make us be more like Peter and Paul, where we live in reckless abandon, Lord, sharing your gospel. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could get some people to come and take our morning offering this morning. I'll share just a verse from Luke chapter 6. It's Luke six thirty-eight, And it says this, Give, and you will receive... Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down and shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap, 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, this is Jesus speaking, so this isn't me. So I want you to think of, we've got all these water bottles. Um, You could have the cap of the water bottle and just have a little bit. Or you can have, um, you can see back there, I've got the big, uh, big cup. I call it the bladder buster. You could have the bladder buster size cup, and you can give with the, the cap, or you can give with the bladder buster, and God says, sit down, uh, I'm going to fill up what you gave with, and I'm going to shake it down, and we're going to pack it as tight as we can, but then I'm going to let it overflow into your lap, because our God is a generous God. And I can do it with the bottle cap, or I can do it with the bladder buster. And God's promise is that he will give back to us. As a generous God, he wants us to be generous. And he wants us to be generous because he wants to see his kingdom grow, and he wants us to have a part in helping his kingdom grow. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that as we give back to you today, Lord, that you would give back to us, Lord, that we'd be shaken down and be measured and flowing into our laps, Lord. And it wouldn't be financially necessarily, Lord, but it would be people who are coming into your kingdom, Lord, treasures that cannot be destroyed, that won't rust and won't fade away. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives. 